from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Before our worship begins, I'd like to share with all of our members and friends a little bit about our financial situation. Regrettably, our projection for year-end reveals a deficit of $420,000 on our $5.7 million budget. While we've worked diligently to manage our resources and expenses, giving in 2022 and 2023 have fallen below expectations. I assure you that our trustees, session, and financial team have thoroughly explored all options to mitigate this situation. If we are unable to bridge this financial gap, difficult decisions will need to be made. This could include budget cuts, which might impact various aspects of our ministry, including a potential reduction in personnel for the year 2024. However, we believe that as a community bound by faith and shared values, we have the ability to overcome this challenge. And so I call upon each member and friend of First Pres to consider how you might be able to contribute to our financial strength. If you've already given in 2023 and have the capacity to go the second mile, please give more. If you've not given in 2023, please give today. You can mail a check, give by credit card, uh, give by stock transfer, or use the QR code that will be on the screen in just a few moments. Our congregation has had a successful capital campaign, securing pledges of over $36 million. Our ministries with children and youth are bursting at the seams. Our worship attendance, both online and in person, are strong. Our community ministries continue to serve our most vulnerable neighbors and friends with compassion and great care. Our staff is strong, gifted, and committed to serving the mission of the church. My hope is that our giving will increase uh, to support the strength of our ministry in this season of our life together. We will continue to communicate openly about our financial progress and any developments that we have as we move forward. Please keep our congregation, our leaders, and our shared mission in your prayers. If you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. And thank you for tuning in to this week's broadcast. Our first scripture text is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I would invite you to read along silently in the Pew Bible in front of you. It is found on page 225 of the New Testament portion of your Bible. John writes and he says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. This ends the first reading. Thank you, Barry. Our second text before us this morning is also from the New Testament, just a few pages later, if you want to follow along, 
in the Pew Bible. It can be found on page 244 in the New Testament section. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Listen now for a word from God for you and for me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I I heard a loud voice from the, the throne saying, See, The home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's peoples, and God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Loving and living God, as we turn our minds and our hearts to these ancient texts, we ask that you would send your spirit, breathe your spirit into them, just like you breathe your spirit into the first human and from that breath it became alive. So too, may this word become for us today a living and active word that we would be changed by it and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you probably already know this, but the book of Revelation has been on my mind a lot lately. And by lately, I mean the last three or four years. I'm sure that I've mentioned it at least once in a recent sermon. I've, I've taught on the book at both McAfee School of Theology and Columbia Theological Seminary in the last two years. I've even subjected my beloved Reading the Bible Together group to an exploration of other examples of apocalyptic literature just to help make Revelation a little less weird. I've presented on Revelation at one of our faithful men's groups, and next, next semester I'll be teaching the Faith and Life Sunday School class a little bit about Revelation. In truth, I should be embarrassed by how many times I mention Revelation in casual conversations, even conversations that have nothing to do with the Bible. I should be embarrassed, but I'm not. I'm just too big of a nerd for that. No surprise if you know me. And some of you also know that I've spent the last few years writing a book on Revelation, a book that was inspired by the very first class that I taught here at First Presbyterian Church back in October of 2019. This book is aimed at curious and faithful and wise folks like all of you in this congregation And this past summer, I submitted the first draft of the manuscript to my editor, and the book is scheduled to arrive in print sometime in the fall of 2024, unless Jesus comes back first, and then what was it for? I'm sure all of you will be waiting with bated breath for its release. We'll maybe have a big party or something. 
I tell all of you this, I divulge all of this self-centered, interesting information about myself, because when I learned that I would have the opportunity to preach today on All Saints Sunday of all Sundays, I had a feeling that I'd be returning to this familiar yet perplexing text. And the passage that I just read from Revelation 21 is is admittedly not from the lectionary, although the text that Barry just read from 1 John is. So too is Psalm 34, which we integrated earlier in our service. Call it what you will, I wanted or perhaps I needed to preach from this text. And I should say that I wanted to preach on this text again. This is the very same passage that I preached on for my mom's memorial service in April. As I was writing the final chapter of my book, a chapter devoted to the hope that Revelation provides, a hope in life after death, I was journeying with my family during mom's final days and months on earth. And so today, as we remember these saints who have gone before us, especially the saints who have gone before us this year, I really couldn't get away from this passage from Revelation 21. And I have to admit that this text probably holds at least a decade's worth of all, uh, all saints Sunday sermons. It contains visions of a new heaven and a new earth, the advent of the new Jerusalem, God finally, fully, and completely dwelling with humanity, the end of death and tears, mourning and pain, and God's powerful promise, see, I am making all things new. All things new. The old has passed away. God promises the end of the world we all know too well. A world of division, alienation, war, and violence. A world with the premature loss of life, ruptured relationships, deferred hopes, the tight grip of greed, and the numbing power of drugs and alcohol. These and other things passed away. All things new. Like I said, there's way more than one sermon in this rich, rich text. But I've been drawn to this one simple line in the midst of these beautiful promises. And the sea was no more. The sea was no more. I can understand the other stuff, a new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem, the end of suffering and death, no more tears, no more brokenness, but the see no more. What are we to make of that? After all, we all know just how important the sea is. Scientists estimate that the ocean covers more than 70% of the Earth's surface, and the, the ocean plays a vital role in the climate and in the weather. Life as we know it depends on the ocean's water cycle for producing clouds and rain and other forms of precipitation, the water that this world so desperately needs. 
The ocean regulates the Earth's temperatures and distributes heat around the world. It is not an exaggeration to say that the ocean sustains the life of the whole planet. Without the ocean, life would cease to exist, or at least its existence would look far different than it is today. What is more, the, the sea is teeming with life. There are hundreds of thousands of species of animals in the ocean. From the tiniest little algae to the huge whales, the ocean offers us one of the clearest examples of the diversity and the vibrancy of God's good creation. Who can help but smile at the beauty and playfulness of hundreds of brightly colored fish swimming near an ocean reef? Or who can help but marvel at the brilliance of the octopus or the playfulness of dolphins or, or even just the absurd build of a manatee as it swims in the ocean? And of course, the sea is a favorite place for many of us, a, a place of relaxation and rejuvenation. People flock to the sea to get away from the busyness of life, to sit and listen to the waves as they crash on the shore, or maybe just to track the birds that are flying above. Who wants a world without the sea? Without the life it provides and contains, without its beauty and brilliance, and yet our text says, with little explanation, the sea was no more. The sea is no more. I suspect my admiration for the ocean, and perhaps your admiration and love of the ocean, is a product of our relative comfort as a person living in the 21st century. As far as, I don't, as far as I know, I don't live anywhere near low-lying land that is facing the existential threat of rising sea levels. For me, the sea is mostly a quaint place to visit. It's lovely to witness from the shore and even to play in its waves. I love the ocean. But for millennia, this was not the case at all. From antiquity until the very recent past, people have thought of the sea as the epitome of danger and chaos, the prime example of nature's awesome power that cannot be conquered or contained. Ancient Near Eastern literature and mythology depicts the sea as the embodiment of chaos, a chaos that threatens the livelihood of humanity and the whole created order a chaos that threatens even the creative purposes of the divine. The deeps of the sea held great unknowns, like the giant sea creature Leviathan and other mysterious creatures. Or we might think about Greek and Roman culture. We can imagine that these port cities would have been peppered with temples and altars to the various gods who were responsible for ensuring that humanity could safely make passage over the sea. And shipwrecks and hurricanes and other disasters at sea were understood as the gods' punishment of humanity's immorality or perhaps their disregard for one of these sometimes temperamental gods. Sea travel was seriously dangerous business. 
We see this view of the sea reflected in the New Testament as well, perhaps no more clearly than in the Gospels' story, uh, stories about Jesus in and around the sea. The Gospels tell us of the time that Jesus walked on the stormy sea, hoping to innocently slip by his struggling disciples. They tell us that Jesus slept through a terrifying storm, one that his disciples understandably thought would be the end of all of them. And they tell of a Jesus who calms the sea. The sea, the very personification of chaos and danger and the great unknown, Jesus calms the sea with mere words. And do you remember what his disciples say in response? Who is this guy? What kind of person can do this? He calms the sea with just the words. Even the winds and the sea obey him. In this moment, Jesus does what only God can do. He stills the sea. He neutralizes its terrifying power. He limits its chaotic reach. For the ancient mind, the sea was formidable. Without the advantages of hundreds of years of technological development, the sea represented unpredictable power, a great unknown, a persistent threat. And this past summer, I have come to appreciate this ancient view of the sea just a little bit more. Each summer, our family takes a trip up to Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, with our good friends George and Zoe, and their now toddler son named Hans. Although our daughter Darcy had a season of reluctance, they both now love the ocean. They love body surfing and boogie boarding. They love snorkeling. They love simply floating on their backs and watching the clouds slowly pass by. And if I can brag a little bit, they're good swimmers. No Michael Phelps or Katie Ledecky, but they can hold their own. And they're usually smart, cautious swimmers. But that day, that day back in July, we all experienced the power and the unpredictability of the sea. We saw the yellow warning flags as we entered the beach, but they had been up the day before and the day before that without incident. We knew, at least theoretically, of the dangers of rip currents and tides, but our kids ran ahead of us, tossing their shoes and their shirts as they sprinted into the sea with one boogie board for the two of them. Eventually, Janelle and I made our way down to the water's edge. We were moving a little bit more slowly because we were dragging our reluctant Hans to the water's edge to show him just how delightful the ocean could be. It didn't take us long for us to see that, that something was off. Both Micah and Darcy were struggling against the power of the waves and the pull of their current. Their smiles turned into concentration and eventually into concern. Micah, our oldest, handed the boogie board to his sister Darcy, gave her a little push, and she rode the waves into the shore. And she ran up to us and she said, Micah can't swim in. 
The waves, the current, they're just too strong. And so I took the boogie board from her and I began wading out to Micah. When I reached him, I soon realized how strong the current was, easily the strongest current I've felt in my entire life. And at this point of the story, I should warn you, we did the opposite of what you should do, right? Every lifeguard will tell you if you get caught in a current, you just lay back on your back, relax, let it take you out, and then you swim parallel to the beach until the current lets you go. Well, we didn't do that. We fought the current. We slowly edged our way back to the shore. As, as Micah sort of had half of his body on the board, I, I grabbed the board and we drove our legs toward the beach and I dragged him along. It seemed like we were hardly moving at all for those minutes, but eventually we made it, exhausted and more than a little spooked. And all that I could think or say in the hours and the days after that incident was just how stupid lucky we had been. We got so lucky. It could have been so much worse. We repeated that again and again. It could have been so much worse. We had read the stories of lives taken earlier in the year by the fury of the sea. In fact, one of the players on Micah's soccer team had lost a beloved family member and friend in a horrible accident in Florida just months earlier. We experienced the power, the unpredictability, and the fury of the sea in that moment. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced the power and the unpredictability and the fury of a sea, whether that sea is literal or metaphorical. The sea was no more. In Revelation's imaginative and powerful imagery of God's promised future, the sea is no more. The chaos and the danger and the power of the sea are finally and fully eliminated. And so that simple promise, the sea was no more, is just another way of saying that old things have passed away, that suffering and pain are gone, that death has been defeated, that nothing ultimately can keep us from God's loving purposes, that God is making all things new. On All Saints Sunday, we remember those who have gone before us. We think fondly of their love and care and how they've modeled the faith for us. We celebrate their legacies and their memories, but we also grieve their loss. We weep for those taken too soon. We ache at their absences from our dinner tables and from our neighborhoods. We shake our hands at the cruelty of a world that claims infants and children, beloved spouses and parents, selfless teachers and pastors. And right now, on this side of Revelation 21, we still live with the fury and the power of the sea, 
both real and metaphorical. And so today we also celebrate and anticipate the subversive hope of Revelation 21. God is making all things new. The sea will be no more. Death will not have the final word. And this hope should propel us toward further engagement with the world, not a flight from it. It should motivate us to keep working toward forgiveness and reconciliation, to keep practicing self-giving love. And this subversive hope reminds us that Jesus, the incarnate one, is with us even in the storm, even on the sea. Just like the disciples experienced 2,000 years ago, Jesus journeys with us into the dangerous and the unknown. We believe and faithfully proclaim that Jesus is not just present with us in the sea, but that he is the one who can and who will calm the sea and the storm. Today, we remember that we are surrounded by these ancestors of faith, We belong to this giant community of faith. As Kimberly Bracken Long notes, All Saints Day reminds us that not even death can sever the ties that bind us to one another and to all of our ancestors in the faith. We are bound to this community. Their praises of the God of life join our own or we join theirs. And in faith, their deaths remind us of this great eternal truth. In life and in death, we belong to God. No no sea can separate us from the love of God, not even the sea of death. Amen.